Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Booyah! Welcome to the Invest Stories Podcast with me, your host, John Hooper, and... Kyle Robertson. Kyle. Co-host. Co-host. I like it. Yeah. Happy 4th yeah. of July. Is it? That was two days ago. Well, yeah, but it's... <laughs> time doesn't mean anything. Did you have a good 4th of I think July? It, I think it means something. I had a great 4th of July. Yeah, we bought a bunch of illegal fireworks, which was great because you can't shoot anything off the ground in Oregon. So uh, <laughs> the majority <laughs> of the population will head north to Washington to all you criminals up there in that state that uh, have the cool fireworks. So you smu- and, uh, for the 4th of July, you smuggled things. We smuggled things across the border, yeah. I'm, I'm throwing a crime right out there. Land of the, the free. Airways, so. Land of the free. Well, it's funny because uh, in, our, in our little town, I mean, we, we live outside of town, and uh, it's – it just sounded like D-Day. I mean, wow. it was insane because, you know, the majority of Oregon goes to Washington. I'm sure they've got a hell of a of a fireworks economy up there just thanks to the Oregon population. But, uh, yeah, they go up there and buy all these you know, mortars, uh, Roman candles, the bottle rockets, all the stuff that everybody around the country uses. You can't have that in Oregon. Why? It's not allowed to leave the ground because it starts there. Afraid we're going to start fires and, uh, you know, red flag warnings and things like that. And it's true. They, they do. I mean, I, I'm not saying I... I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it's, you know, this is our childhood. We used to do that kind of stuff. It's fun. And and so we grabbed some of that stuff. My kids got to see the stuff in the air for the first time ever. And uh, it was a lot oh, of fun. That's cool. about you? Yeah, I do, yeah. I, as a Brit, I just relaxed and kept my head down. Celebrated uh, Give Back America Day. <laughs> Give Back America. Oh, I love it. Red coats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it, I wore John. a red jacket. <laughs> Yeah. Now we had treason? we had some people the over, hung out. Um, it was all fun and games. My little one ran into a, the side of the the fridge, I think, which was kind of funny. Oh no! Yeah, she was oh. she was pretty upset about that. Uh, but so <laughs> it's pretty funny. No, yeah. and then we just we hung out. We got a, we have a deck, so we sat on the deck and saw saw a few fireworks. So it was, it was kind of chill, kind of relaxing. I did go for a run Excellent. first thing in the morning. And my God, it looked like Camp Bastion down around the around the beach of San Diego. What's Camp Bastion? Oh, it's the the big camp in Afghanistan where they had all these tents oh. set up. Un- oh, gotcha. Unbelievable! So many people stayed overnight, which is also illegal in San Diego. Oh, criminals yeah. down there too. I mean, I phoned the police, but they weren't they weren't interested. Uh, no, so people would set up <laughs> volleyball courts, everything. It was oh, like that sounds like fun. Real estate one hundred and one. Just grab a piece of land and start building, right? So uh, yeah, it's like homesteading all over again. That's great. <laughs> so that was cool. Yeah. So um, anyway, back to investories. And hey, yeah. Quick, quick prompt to everyone: if you could give us a five star review on iTunes, we would absolutely love that. Celebrate the fourth by giving us a five star review. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know does that fit that's, and also plug, check, guess, check yeah. us out on youtube we are growing on youtube it takes me ages to do the video so it's worth just saying well done subscribing we have a few subscribers now which is kind of cool hey. and liking and um i think you can hit a bell notification and it will tell you when a new episode is posted um so you get i guess you get a little bit more feedback same great content uh from us but if you could do that it really is a ton of uploading 
just think of the bandwidth that we're using just to upload videos. <laughs> um, so that would be super, super helpful. And um, yeah, so I guess uh, without further ado, the um, the episode today is uh, is with Scott Jelinek. Scott is kind of an interesting story. He's been investing for, I think, 30 years. Uh, he's kind of rode out the recession and it's kind of changed his whole viewpoint in how he invests and what he invests in. It's it's kind of a fascinating conversation to kind of dig into that and that contrarian mindset, right, Kyle? I, I think that's not yeah. controversial. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, as I told him after we got done recording that it was a refreshing conversation because his mindset on a lot of this stuff, when we talked a lot of things about debt, about, you know, leverage and the problems that can come along with it. And he has pivoted his portfolio to a debt-free structure, except for private or, uh, you know, private money financing that he uses for the purchase. Uh, but there's such short-term, high-interest loans that they're they're paid off in a short amount of time, and I'll, I'll let him explain exactly what his structure is. But it, this is a great episode for people who are considering the risks of bank loans, of over-leveraging, of getting yourself in a position where, when the economy does tank, because it will and it always does, what do you do? And and kind of pay attention to the way that he learned his lessons. And, and really take something from that because I'm kind of in the same position where it's like I, I'm trying my very best not to just be so focused on growth that I over leverage myself and set myself up for, for failure. And, and, and Scott goes through that and, and explains it in such a, a, a fantastic way that it's really easy to understand. So pay attention to that. Yeah, it's familiar from 08, right? Over leveraging taking yeah. out too much loans. We've, we've, even if you're not a, an investor, and it's just your your house, you know, that's something we've considered. Should we get a HELOC? Maybe not, actually. Maybe now isn't the time to take out further financing on our home to to invest. Um, so, it, it, yeah, I, I really dig the, the mindset piece of that and, and kind of yeah. how we got to that, that viewpoint. But anyway, enough of my waffling. And without further ado, here's Scott. Welcome to the Investories podcast, Scott Jelinek. Hey, Scott. How are you today? Good. I should be asking, how are you? Thanks for joining I us. I am fantastic. <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> so Scott has, uh, well, hundreds of properties. Um, he's been investing for, for 30 years. And um, I'm really interested on the uh, the kind of latest endeavor. I don't know if we can still say latest. It's It's been a while, but the slow flip process. Um, there's another bit in your bio that was super interesting, which is, and I guess we're all kind of looking back is the kind of leading out from the the last recession and kind of lessons learned. So we really want to get into that as well, Scott. So thank you for for joining us. John, I got to tell you something funny, and this just happened the other day. I, and I don't know how long you've been investing, but I talk about the the crash like it was yesterday all the time. And, you know, it's deep in my heart, right? Well, someone just the other day said to me, Scott, you know, that was 15 years ago, right? And I had to do them. I'm like, wow, you're right. That is 15 years. I feel like it was yesterday. And it's amazing how ingrained it is in me that I have lessons learned that doesn't matter what's going on in the market, they will, they will not change. So, Scott, let's, let's talk about that. Like, what was your route into investing? What did that look like? So I got started, um, I was a landscaper, and back then, uh, this is early, I, started, I bought my first house in 1994. Back then, they had a thing called non-qualifying assumptions, 
and I don't know if you know about them or remember them. They did away with them in 87 for FHA and 89 for VA, but what it meant was anybody, no credit, no job, no anything, could assume your mortgage if you worked out a deal with the seller. Much like a sub two is now, but with the bank's blessing. The bank, you literally had a closing and the bank put the mortgage in your name. And so I bought that house and then short, and I had no interest in real estate. I bought it to live in. And shortly after, another house on the block came up for sale for less than half the amount down. And I didn't know values. I didn't know anything other than I paid five grand down. This one said two grand down and I felt like I got ripped off. And so then I decided, let me buy that one also, right? And that was my first start in real estate where every month my tenant would pay me and I would pay the mortgage and it was constantly nagging me. I'm like, I borrowed the money, they're paying it off. I borrowed it, they're paying it off. And I became obsessed with, you know, I, I, I want to buy as many as I can and just wait out time. That was my whole plan. Just wait out. Back then, you're taking over a 30-year mortgage. You might have been six, seven years in. And it was just, let me just wait out time and eventually I'll be rich. And that was the plan, you know. And, um, you know, and then, you know, things evolved and grew and grew and grew. And then we had some changes in the market and came up with a new plan. <laughs> the, the fundamentals are sound, right? Buy a property, get someone else to pay it off and then buy another Indeed. one. Yep, absolutely. Like so absolutely. You're, you're ex-army, right, Scott? Yep, I was in the army back way back in the first Gulf War. So was that a so was there like a transition from army to landscaping to investor entrepreneur? Is how does that work? So I had no viable skills that I can use outside of the army when I got out. I used to actually I still lived on Long Island at the time. I used to walk the beach and sell sodas. And, uh, and I loved it. You know, I would, I would make about 200 bucks a day and I just walked around ice cold soda, Pepsi, diet Pepsi. And I, you know, and I sold sodas on the beach and I loved it. And then my mother had moved to Virginia beach and my plan was to do the same thing. I'm thinking, well, we'll go into a place with beach in its name, right? I'll sell sodas here. I don't know if you've ever been to Virginia beach, but our beach is tiny here. I mean, it's long, but it's thin and there's hotels and restaurants and very unlike Jones beach in New York. And so there was no business here doing that. And so I, uh, I was like, well, what am I going to do to make any money? And, you know, I still tell people literally 30 years later, if anybody who complains they can't find work, I'm like, listen, anybody can grab a lawnmower and go knock on doors where you see high grass and make a living. Anybody could. And that's and that's exactly how I got started. I started mowing lawns. It's interesting because we we have a lot of investors on here. We have a lot of real estate and brokers on here and people from all walks of life. And I think what kind of narrows down everybody's not everybody, but a lot of the people that we have on here typically go back to some sort of a sales background. Yeah. Now, do you can, this is an interesting question that I, I like asking people. I don't know if I've asked it so much on this podcast, but do you consider yourself a salesman? And is that important? Is, do you consider that yeah. an important aspect in your real estate investing career? So in the slow flips that we do, I guess it still applies in the slow flips. Not as much though, but in whole, I also wholesale. And so in wholesaling, I go on appointments. We go, we call them buy call appointments. I go on appointments and sit in someone's living room and go over the process to, to do a contract, in which case it is a thousand percent sales. And when I teach, I also teach literally step by step the sales process, even though in that case we're a buyer, it's still sales. And so, yeah, 1000%, I think sales, I think, and you, you mentioned that you see everybody is in sales who you see doing this. I think everybody's in sales, whether they're doing this or anything else. It's just a difference 100%. of whether you, whether you accept it and whether or not you're good at it and study it and learn it. But you're in yeah. sales, whether you like it or not, everybody's yeah. selling. Even if you're young and single and you're trying to get a girlfriend or a wife, you're, you're in sales, right? It's, it's really funny that sales. Sorry, I don't mean to keep interrupting you. No, I just love talking about this, but it's just, it's really interesting where most people don't realize that that's what they are. You know, you're trying to sell yourself. You're trying right. to sell your deal. If you're a buyer, you're trying to sell your LOI, trying to sell your, your, when you started talking about selling sodas, 
back there on the beach. Did you say, did you say Long Island? Is that where Jones you're Beach, at? Yeah. Yeah. Jones Beach. How in the world did you even come up with a business idea like that? Because it's, it's interesting because I'm constantly hearing from people, just random people. I'm looking for a side hustle. I'm looking at how do I make some extra money? How do I do this? How do I do that? I mean, you sold sodas on a boardwalk at a beach. I mean, that's just insane. Where did how you that came about that? is I was at the beach and I there's it's different than a lot of beaches. There's no infrastructure there, right? So you have to walk forever from your car. If you didn't bring it with you, you don't have it, right? And so a guy was walking around selling them and I bought them and it was $2 a can. And this was in the early 90s. And back then in the store, it was 25 cents a can. And I remember I'm like, man, they're making $2 a can. 25 cents. And so I started looking into, well, is it even legal? Are you allowed to just, I said, there's no regulation. You're not allowed to do it, but nobody's enforcing anything. And I'm like, well, this is great. All I do is, you know, buy a cooler, buy ice and spend my day at the beach. And I loved it. I'd make about 200 bucks a day. And I thought it was great. I'm going to get down the beach after that. I love that. And I'm, I am actually in sales. And what I'd say is you're not selling the soda. You're selling the feeling of an ice cold soda in your hand, drinking it. And uh, yeah. that kind of outcome. <laughs> But that's what we're doing in real estate, right? You're selling a, you know, a property, you're selling an investment fund, and you're selling the outcome of that, whether it's from an investor or a tenant that's going to move in, you're selling that they're, they're part of that dream. Um, right. And my, my business that we've evolved to, which we call slow flips, the whole pitch with slow flips, why people get into it is we sell it's freedom. We're not, I no longer talk about people about making a bazillion dollars and buying Lamborghinis and any of that. I'm all about setting yourself free, having a number to set yourself free. And that's literally what I sell to my people is forget all of that. Not to say you can't still want that or still do it after, but right now your number one goal is to set yourself free. Then you can figure out what you want to be next. So but I really, freedom has to be number one. I really want to ask about slow flips, but first I want to kind of do the, the 15 year time travel back if I had a DeLorean or a Lamborghini um, and, and pop back and, and really understand kind of a lot of people don't remember that period. Carl, I don't think you you remember that period as an investor, right? What's that? that the, the 2008 crash. Uh, yeah, I, I had a, I had two, uh, two investment properties and I was a real estate broker and lost my job ah, yeah, because yeah. of it. <laughs> so I have, I still have fond nightmares of that, uh, of that time. <laughs> fond of nightmares. Yeah. I love that. But if, if you can, Scott, what, what did that look like going into that and coming out the other end? What did that look like? And I think particularly around the kind of the, the mental fortitude to kind of process and keep going. I know Kyle's talked to that and a little bit. I'm going to explain it to you, but I don't know if it was fortitude other than lack of options. So I'm going to take you back to 2001. Up until 2001, I, I acquired about 20 properties, all Virginia Beach, non-qualifying assumptions, and they were great properties and they were all rented. In 2001 was the first time since I started in 94 that we had any appreciation. So suddenly these houses I was buying, I was paying 65 for now worth 80 and 90. And so I started becoming real interested in other ends of real estate. And I went to all the seminars and I read the books and I got all involved with these real estate groups. And everybody was teaching basically that I was an idiot with my first 20 houses that you need to pull out that equity. You have, you know, all this money and equity on each one, pull it out and you can buy more. And so I did. And I met with these mortgage people and I refinanced all my houses and I pulled out 50, 80 grand on each of them and bought more houses. Kept doing that. And I started wholesaling and other stuff in the interim until 2007. I had 84 properties in 2007. And, you know, and I know everybody always says 2008. And I'm like, I assure you it was 2007. I have my QuickBooks to prove it. But in 2007, instantly, it was like overnight, you know, overnight. 
probably 30, 40% of my people stopped paying. And it wasn't their fault. Like everybody thinks just real estate was hurt. It doesn't matter what industry you were within, everybody got hurt. Even good people that were great payers, people didn't have jobs anymore. People stopped paying. I had 84 houses. I also had 84 mortgages. So I was making all this money prior, and now I'm losing it. Twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a month. I'm losing, and I continued to lose until I ran. I had almost just under a million dollars in cash saved at the time, and I felt like, well, let me weather the storm. This has to end. It can't keep going, right? It has to end. And I, I, you know, in hindsight, I wish I stopped in the beginning, but I did. I fought the good fight, and once I ran out of money, I, um, you know, you know what came next? I lost about fifty-five of them to foreclosure. And, you know, I always say that was tough on anybody to lose a house, right? But it was especially tough on me. I had an escalator on the side said, stop foreclosure. And my phone number, you know, it, that was, we were all about stop foreclosure. We buy houses. And, and so it was, it was tough. Most people that were in business back then, in my business, went back to their previous lives. They went back to their job at IBM, went back to whatever they were doing. They had a great five years, you know, in the boom, and then went back to their previous lives. I didn't have a previous life. I was mowing lawns and now I had this big lifestyle and I'm like, well, if I'm looking for a job and I thought about it, you know, what can I do? I said, I have to get a job like as a brain surgeon or something. I said, I'm a high school dropout. I said, nobody's hiring me as a brain surgeon. And so I kept like, I have to figure this out because I can't, I have this big lifestyle now. I have these cars in the house and my wife and kid. And I'm like, well, I have, you know, we have to figure it out. One of the things that I did, which in hindsight was like the smartest thing I've ever done is I started looking at the people who were doing well. Some, you know, a lot of people got crushed. Most people got crushed. Most everybody got crushed and went back to their previous lives. But some people were still killing it more than ever. And so, and a lot of them were the older guys. They were my lenders, my hard money lenders. And the, the you know, the guys that I knew all along and during the boom, I'm thinking, man, these guys are stupid. They need, they can make so much more if, right? Well, after the bust, they were like waiting for it. They, you know, and they were killing it. And so in conversations, one of the things I realized across the board with all of them, and I know this is controversial to everybody, everybody hates this, but they owned everything free and clear, everything, every, everything they, they had, you know, I'm driving in a Cadillac XLR convertible, 105,000 I spent on it. I have two Escalades. They're pulling up in a Honda Accord. They're the ones loaning me the money, right? They're pulling up in a Honda Accord. They have their houses. They might've only had 20, 30 houses, but they own them all free and clear. Good times, bad times, it don't matter. Every month, they got another 30 grand on the first or whatever the number was. And if nobody paid, if there was a hard time, well, it didn't cost them anything. They just had lost revenue. It didn't, they're not at risk of losing anything. And it really resonated with me because it wasn't one or two. It was everybody who was still doing well was, was living by that exact same principle. And now we haven't had ever since anybody who started now, and, and that's funny because when I say this, people love to argue with me. So I don't argue. I always just say, you're right, you're right. Anybody who started from 2009 on, 2008 even on, they, they've never seen anything different. It's been straight up, straight up, right? And mind you, it may stay that way another 50 years. And they'll be like, man, that Scott guy was stupid because we made a bazillion dollars and he could have made so much more, right? So anybody who started from then on doesn't see any different side of it, which is why I, you know, people say, Scott, it's been 15 years, you know, get over it. And, uh, but I'm not, I'm not starting over again. I'm too old now, right? So so I've restructured everything to where I, I completely am free and clear now. My house, my cars, every, you know, I'm all about free and clear. But with my properties, you know, you can't buy free and clear unless you have $20 million to start, right? So, so we do a hybrid where I do finance them with private money, but I do them on short-term mortgages, usually five years. And that's it. And so, yeah, it was, it was devastating. So Thank you for listening to part one of this uh, amazing interview. 
Uh, please reach out investoriespodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or investoriespod on Instagram. Uh, I think also the same on, on TikTok. Reach out, connect. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you, happy to get questions, and we'd love to get you on the show if you want to come on and discuss uh, any questions you have or anything you're thinking about or any tactics or strategies. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, Tuesday Techers, where we're going to dive into the kind of techniques and the strategies and that side of things. So uh, looking forward to connecting with you all tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.